Please make a donation today at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org. Times, I'm Michael Barbaro. This is The Daily. And Corn Pop was a bad dude. Not a joke. <laughs> the characters must change. And the change must come from them. There's a guy named Bill Wright, Mouse. Not a joke. Corn Pop was a bad dude. Here's what else you need to nerd a. Nashville FM. Hey, it's uh old guy. <laughs> it's my dad. Hey, hey, dad, I got a, I got a name for you for the show I came up with. Okay, what is it? Doctor Dad. Doctor Dad. Okay, I'll just say I'm Doctor Dad. Is that good? Yep. You're on the air. Hey, it's uh, Doctor Dad calling in. Uh... <laughs> That's it for the Daily. I'm Michael Barbaro. See you tomorrow. I don't know if you've known anybody from that far back, if you've loved anyone that long, first as an infant, then as a child, then as a man. You gain a strange perspective on time and a human pain and effort. Other people cannot see what I see. Whenever I look into your father's face, For behind your father's face, as it is today, are all those other faces, which were his. No, but wait, see, I was bringing you this deal for you to loan me the money to put in. It's my deal here, see. Jerry, we thought you were bringing us an investment. Yeah, right. You're saying, what are you saying? You're saying we put in all the money you collect when it pays off. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, I'd, I'd... I'd pay you back the principal and interest. Heck, I'd, I'd go one over prime. We're not a bank, Jerry. No, no. See, I <laughs> I don't need a, a finder's fee. I need finder's fees, what, 10%? Heck, that's not going to do it for me. I need the principal. Jerry, we're not going to just give you $750,000. What the heck were you thinking? I guarantee you your money back. I'm not talking about your damn word, Jerry. Jeez, what the heck are you... We're not a bank, Jerry. Your internet radio dial is in the perfect position, and Race to the Bottom is on the air. Time to sit back and enjoy some refreshing Winslow tea. Try it hot, lukewarm, or over ice. Have it with milk and sugar, or a lemon wedge, or oh natural. Mmm, mmm, mmm. Now that's Winslow tea. A New York City tradition since 1872. Ask for it by name at the tea house or your local greengrocer. Because that's how you know it's Winslow.
from the Winslow Tea Broadcast booth in it's it's nice today, Bushwick, Brooklyn. I'm John Reed. You're listening to Radio Free Brooklyn, and this is Race to the Bottom, baby. How's it going, guys? As always, my monologue is sponsored by Winslow Tea, because that's how you know it's Winslow. I'm drinking it right now, actually. This looks like my last swig here. Ah, that's refreshing. Iced Winslow with um, condensed milk is how I'm doing it today. Please hashtag your tea drinking experiences with hashtag how you know and steep into the conversation. Like I've said before, I've got my thermos and it's pretty impossible to slurp. Uh, but you can also, if you can slurp, you can hashtag your uh, slurping experiences with slurp to enhance, even though some people are really vigorously pushing back on that hashtag. Um, listener Kathy is is not a fan of the slurp, but some hey, it, I'm just getting that from Winslow headquarters, so you gotta you gotta do what you gotta do. How about that mashup? That mashup was um, as we like to do. That was a a compendium of two mashups from last year around this time. We heard from uh, our good buddy, friend of the show, Michael Barbaro, with his uh, lovely hmms. Uh, I haven't listened to Barbaro in a while. I, I heard there was a, I was a hostile work environment, so I took a break um, from his. But he's so objective and centrist. I might need to get back to it. Uh, we heard from uh, our president talking about corn pop and. There was a guy, Bill Wright Mouse, which I've talked about before. That the, he was—he's talking—he's talking to a guy in the crowd that he calls Mouse about a, uh, another guy named Bill Wright, um, which I—I I appreciate. I want to know—I want to know. Everybody wants to know about Corn Pop. I want to know about the guy Mouse that he's talking to in the crowd, and why he's talking about Bill Wright. That's the kind of stuff they should have on the daily. We heard Dr. Dad's origin story. That's from about 10 years ago when Dr. Dad got his name. We heard uh, in the background of, of that, those shenanigans. We heard uh, Hip Hop Hooray from Naughty by Nature and Diamonds and Pearls from Prince. We heard from Chris Rock, an excerpt from him reading uh, an excerpt of Letter to My Nephew by the great... James Baldwin. In the background of that was Rachel Grimes with The Clearing. And then we heard from uh, Mr. Uh, Lundergaard. And uh, it's my deal, Wade. I always think it's my deal, Gene. Gene is his wife who he has kidnapped. Um, just make sure we, we get all that straight. Before we move forward to introduce our guest on the show today. I'm so excited. You might know him from our uh, Oscar Spectacular, um, but Eric's here to talk about his life in uh, in the game that, that they used to call America's pastime. I don't know if it's still our pastime. Eric, does that uh, how's that mic? Get up on that thing, see if that works. We'll get, get up on this mic. Ooh, yes. Sounding good. How's it going? 
It's going, it's going well. I will tell you, I'm, I'm not a tea slurper, but I'm a, I'm a noodle slurper. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Slurp uh, to enhance. Hashtag. <laughs> uh, you can hashtag your, your noodle drinking, uh, noodle slurping. Um, so yeah, I'm really excited. Eric and I work together, um, at the school, um, that shall remain nameless. And, uh, you probably know that, uh, letter to my nephew i taught it this year have you heard that uh chris rock reading that i have not he does he does a really great job with it that's on youtube you you ever go on youtube i know i know the youtube (laughs) yes um so i know that you um have had a baseball life um but we've never been able to talk about it and i wanted to do that um on the show today we have this conversation that we've never actually had in person uh, for, you know, the thousands of people who are listening right now. It's perfect. Yeah. We're still staring right at each other, talking yeah. normally. Yeah. So. Hey, so we've just got some, uh, you know, mic stands and things in, in our face, but our headphones on. So um, let's start with where it where did it end? I'm interested. I'm interested in um, because subtext, as as listeners to the the show know, I uh, had a career in music. Um, put career in quotes. Uh, my dad likes Doctor Dad. Uh, my dad, your doctor, likes to say that um, I'm was um, very successful, just not uh, monetarily. Um, but I, I'm, in, I'm interested in those who, those of us who follow the dream as long as we possibly can, and then, and then where, uh, where we realize that it's, it's run its course. Yeah, I, I think, I think there were multiple ends. It was a little bit of like that last Lord of the Rings movie that <laughs> seems to end like three or four different times. Um, I'd say that the first end was. Um, the, I played in college at uh, Trinity University down in San Antonio, Texas. Um, and the first end was in our uh, conference tournament playoffs. Uh, I popped my hamstring, mm. um, stretching for a, to scoop a throw in the dirt at first and um, felt the snap, crackle, and pop when I tried to stretch it. And then uh, we lost the next game, and that was the end of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I got an opportunity to play in Australia. So, um, I spent a year coaching at the same college and then I went over, uh, to Australia and I played for a year there. Um, and then that was the, the second end was, um, after that experience, I came back home and, um, messed up my travel visa because, oh. you know, 24 year old didn't fully understand uh, the situation that I was in, and I wasn't able to uh, get another visa to travel back. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. So that was the second end? Yeah, so I like to say that, you know, if it wasn't for weird travel visas and regulations, I'd, I'd probably still be playing right now, you know? Yeah. But it was, that's what ended it for okay. me, really. <laughs> and then, you know, we we did these uh, uh, under the cloud of anonymity, but then there were... There was somebody who who submitted a March Sadness thing talking about uh, uh, eating it at Wrigley Field. Was that you? That was me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. My uh, 
went with my dad to a showcase at Wrigley Field in high school. We, you know, my my parents were always very, very giving in where they would take me, um, you know, for all these kind of showcases, just because baseball, um, you know, exposure in New York City is not the the easiest. Yeah. Um, and everybody else around the country is playing all year round. And, you know, there's a lot more opportunities if you're in, um, you know, leagues and travel situations outside. So we'd go to a bunch of these showcases um, just because, you know, shockingly, playing at a small private school in Brooklyn didn't attract a lot of uh, collegiate attention. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and I, I I ate it. I swung real hard, <laughs> real, way, way too hard, and I wound up on my butt. Uh, yeah. yeah. That really could have been the first end of my baseball career. Yeah. And, then, and, um, and you still do some, some coaching in a, in a league in, in the city? Yeah, I have a, a family friend of mine, um, runs a travel team in the city um mm-hmm. so there's a 12 and under and an 11 and under team so i you know about a year ago i started helping them out and now we're four coaches two teams and it's fun to still be involved in the game yeah and so and you were a a, a catcher I was and uh so in in kind of in classic form a lot of catchers become managers because you as as a catcher you kind of see the uh the game uh, as in kind of a front row seat, right? Mm-hmm. You have to, um, you're really involved with the pitcher, calling the game, kind of figuring out the sequence of pitches, and um, you obviously have to know the hitters and and you have see the the field in front of you, right? Yeah, I think you know early on you you get the kids who are catchers who are who have a, like. A focus level, right? Because, you know, yeah. when you're in Little League or whatever, you can't really take a pitch off and stare at the sun or, <laughs> you know, wonder what that plane is that's flying overhead. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, usually, if we're being serious, they, you know, they put the big kids behind the plate because mm-hmm. it doesn't involve a lot of moving around uh-huh. um, and they'll get in the way of the ball. And then as you get older, you you do have to have a little bit more of that cerebral part of the game when you start understanding, you know, you're the you're the person calling the pitches, you're the person helping, you know, dictate like what the bunt coverage is, where, you know, if, if a ground ball is going to the, you know, particular infielder, you can see where the best play is. So yeah. maybe you're yelling out, communicating with the team. So it gets a little bit more cerebral and a little bit more of kind of like an assistant coach role mm-hmm. as you get as you get older. Yeah. What was playing in Australia like? Um I loved it. It was it was a really great experience. It was interesting because the you know, coming from a college program where you're practicing every day, where you have, you know, you have a practice, you have weight sessions. Mm-hmm. Um, if you are, you know, particularly dedicated, you're also hitting additionally in the cage. Um, that was one of the things that I I didn't do early enough on uh-huh. in college. I, I wasn't aware of how much work actually goes into it on a day-to-day basis. And then, you know, in Australia, we'd show I showed up, we had our first practice. Uh, practice was, you know, about hour, hour and a half long. And then everybody went to the little canteen next to the stadium <laughs> and cracked some beers and sat down and nobody was running sprints on the field after practice or mm-hmm. so it was, you know, it was an adjustment, yeah. uh, you know, to recalibrate, but it was fun and it was great. And, you know, I, I, I bartended, I played baseball and I hung out at the beach for a year. So I can't really complain. That sounds, that sounds quite all right. Uh, so, and then. The other thing that you do baseball related, which I, I wanted to, to talk about is, is uh catcher's corner, right? 
which is uh, your podcast uh, that you do with another catcher, right? Yeah. So um, I, I guess this is the the Lord of the Rings ending coming into play <laughs> because after Australia, I came back and um, I had heard about like these wood you know wood bat leagues that are playing mostly out in like Brooklyn and Queens. Um, and it's not, you know, softball. It's guys that, you know, used to play baseball that are hanging on to the dream a little bit. Um, and so I joined, uh, this team called the storm mm-hmm. and we were based out of Brooklyn. Um, and you know, it was a bunch of guys at that time in their like early twenties. We actually had some guys on the team that were in college. And then over the summer they would come and play in this wood bat league. Um, and so Sammy Ackley, uh, was a teammate of mine. Um, and he is, uh, my co-host on Catcher's Corner. We just started kind of, you know, after that, the, the season ran its course and I got tired of, you know, playing double headers on weekends in my mid twenties <laughs> while all my friends were going to the beach and I, you know, couldn't do anything over the weekend because I had to go to some field and play, you know, 18 innings of baseball. Um, but yeah, we, we just always kind of stayed in touch, um, texting, you know, about the game. He's a Yankees fan. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, dislike the Yankees. Yeah. Um, so we go back and forth on that a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we just kind of thought, you know, why not? We're talking about it all the time. Um, you know, I do tend to think that catchers uh, get overlooked a little bit. There's a little bit of like, you know, they're the the kickers of baseball where everybody mm-hmm. thinks that, you know, they're, they don't know how to hit. They're, they kind of drag down the offensive production of a team. So we just wanted to, you know, give some voice to the catcher experience. Mm-hmm. But it's um, it's largely fantasy based, right? Yeah, it is largely fantasy based. Um, you know, we've we had an interview uh, two episodes ago with with Stephen Vote, who's a catcher for the Arizona Diamondbacks and mm-hmm. a former teammate of mine, um, and that was just focused on you know baseball catching, yeah. how things have changed over the last you know decade with all the new metrics and you know stat cast um, mm-hmm. and spin rates and things like that. Um, so who knows where it'll go? We're just starting out. You know, we've done 10 episodes, which I'm, doesn't seem like a lot, but I'm surprised we have had the fortitude to continue doing that. Um, so, you know, we're, uh, we're open to the directions it goes. And if we can keep talking to guys who are in the game, mm-hmm. you know, then maybe that's the, where it pivots to. Yeah. So it's, it's been interesting listening. I a couple questions. One, so it's interesting listening to Catcher's Corner for me because it's like, <laughs> As somebody, I don't know a whole lot about about fantasy. I've I've like messed around on DraftKings some, yeah. but you guys are t- are talk. It's there's such like a, a layer of reality to it where you guys know so much because some guys some guys are like you know just look at the stats and uh, when they're putting together their fantasy team, but you guys are talking as if you are really going to draft these people, you know, because you know so much. And so you're, you're see, you, uh, know, the, the kind of, uh, pitchers who are exciting and, and people are really looking at and might have a breakout season. Right. And you can go into like, uh, it's, it's, you talk as if you're scouts, which is really fascinating to me. Um, as, as somebody who I don't, it's it's these like le- layers of reality, right? I think what you've described as an unhealthy obsession <laughs> is that instead of just looking at stats or talking about it from a fantasy perspective, yeah. we are like embodying uh, this role that we're not. Um, 
I would. I just think that you know one of the things Sammy and I talked about doing is the idea was always to talk about the game based on our experiences playing it. Yeah. Um. And you know that's not to say that our opinion is you know more valid than the other guys who don't have that playing experience. But the thought was to give another level to like, oh, you're going to talk about how well this person is doing. We can look at the statistical numbers, but also try to explain maybe why that's happening Mm -hmm. from just watching the situation and the mental aspects of it or the mechanical things, or, you know, what kind of goes into just a typical season and the ups and the downs and the, the off field things that may interact with that. Um, Yeah. yeah, So, cause you know, you, you talk about uh, catchers kind of getting short shrift, but the, you know, we were talking about it earlier. Um, the more you know about baseball, the more you know, uh, the, talk about like the game with inside the game, there you, uh, you learn about pitchers and their, their kind of, um, large kind of vocabulary of different pitches that they can throw and, and sequencing and how they can get in, into a batter's head. Right. Yeah. And, and no one knows that better than a catcher. Cause you have to know what's coming next. Otherwise you're going to get crossed up. Right. Yeah. It's, it's funny. I think, you know, we started the, and this is kind of an embodiment of, I think the role of a catcher in general, we started the podcast thinking that we would talk about baseball from a catcher's perspective and 90% of our, podcast is talking about pitchers and pitching yeah and i think it's the nature of a catcher is you become a caretaker for pitchers yeah um and you know pitchers won't admit it but you know they're creatures of habit and creatures of comfort and some of them are very um you know out there and a lot of being a catcher is understanding the personality of the Mm -hmm. person that is pitching in that particular game what he likes to do when um not only just the pitches the person likes to throw, but like, you know, there are some guys where if they're struggling, you know, you like, don't say anything to them, let them work through it. There are some guys where if they're struggling and you go out and talk to them, you got to make a joke. You got to lighten up the mood. There are other guys, you know, they want you to kind of get in their face and, you know, snap them back to reality. Uh So there is a little bit of that massaging of, Mm -hmm. you know, the personality. So I, I do think that that's, um, Weirdly, in a way that, you know, it adds into teaching, it adds into, you know, all the other jobs that I've been doing. But it is why the podcast becomes so much about pitching, because yeah. so much of a catcher's job is getting that pitcher through. And the the pitcher is the, you know, center of attention. Everybody's watching what the pitcher is doing. And the catcher is, you know, kind of like orchestrating or directing the show in a way. Yeah. So I know that probably people are who are listening are have a wide range of of their understanding of baseball but like at a really basic level if if you're not like a huge baseball fan I'm sure you've seen uh during the game where uh you know the catcher is, is putting different uh hand signals down uh you know between his legs and the and the pitchers looking at them and, and either nodding or or shaking shaking them off until they agree on on one of these signals which indicate which pitch he's going to throw nets so that's all coming from the the catcher is suggesting okay here's what would be the what the would be the next pitch you should throw yeah it's right? an interesting like form of sign language in a way because you're giving the sign for the pitch then you're also using your glove to indicate the you know the location yeah hold the glove up high if you want the pitch to be high you you will tap the dirt with your glove if you want the pitcher to throw it in the dirt 
sometimes, you know, and then you, you obviously shift your body in the direction where you want the pitcher to throw. So it's a lot of, you know, nonverbal communication mm-hmm. with people that are 60 feet apart from each other. Um, and other people are actively trying to find out that information. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's an interesting kind of dynamic when you step back from it and understand how that's all being communicated. Yeah. Cause it's interesting for, for me, like, you know, I, baseball was my life and like my ending was, I think it was, I, uh, around, I, I wanted to be a major league baseball player from age like eight until 13 and kind of music took over. But the other thing that was happening is I started to, uh, feel like I, I didn't have it. Um, and I didn't push through that thing. And the big thing that was scaring me was uh, thinking as a hitter, trying to face curveballs, trying to face, uh, you know, faster pitches. Um, kids were getting hitting puberty and kids were starting to throw really hard and throw curveballs. And I remember going to a batting cage in the Outer Banks of North Carolina with my family. And I stepped into uh, one of the, I think, like a the 60 mile an hour cage and the I just couldn't fathom how fast a 60 mile an hour pitch was and um you know completely ate it um and I uh kind of ran out of the cage and ran to the parking lot and sat behind our station wagon and cried until like my brother came and and found me um and I wish I I've talked about the show about for listeners and myself when when are those times where you wish you could go back and talk to yourself and kind of give yourself a pep talk from where you what you know now I wish I would have just been like hey go into the 40 mile an hour cage you know like you can't you can't like jump out into the middle of the ocean right um but that uh, that being kind of my uh, ending in baseball, I didn't have the um, understanding of of the the game within the game as far as pitching went, right? Yeah. Because it was either a ball or a strike. I didn't know the different uh, sliders, you know, knuckleball, and, the whole, the whole. And I think what you're what you're experiencing too. First of all, that was basically my college career was a lot of <laughs> running and crying and yeah. um but you know i but i think this the struggle that you were talking about when you're 13 is part of what i think makes baseball so much more difficult than people understand is a sport like basketball is there's so much going on physically mm-hmm. at all times that you don't have the opportunity to get into your own head yeah right you're in if you're on the court in a basketball game you're constantly having to do something whether it's dribbling or passing or playing defense or rebounding or whatever, your body is constantly moving Mm -hmm. in baseball because people are like, Oh, it's so boring. They just stand around. But the issue is in those 15 seconds before every pitch, when you're hitting, Mm -hmm. you're not physically doing something. So your brain is doing something and you need to be able to either shut your brain off or train your brain to, to focus on the thing that you want it to. And you're, moment of seeing that 60 mile an hour or pitch and being like, Oh no, how can I possibly do this? You know, that was my biggest struggle through all of playing baseball Mm -hmm. was like after one pitch in an at bat that didn't go my way, or I took a bad swing or 
you know, the pitch had more movement than I thought. You know, the players that were better than me as I got older were able to mentally, you know, flip a switch and focus on what they needed to. And I had the voice in the back of my head that was like, oh, no. Yeah. Like, this is this is going to be different than I thought. Am I going to, you know, I thought I was going to come up and get this pitch. I didn't. Now I'm on my heels. Now I'm trying mm-hmm. to recalibrate. And, you know, I, I think I knew early on when I was in college that the that college was probably going to be the end for me. Um, I think that, you know, I was holding out hope that I would have had an opportunity um, to, you know, latch on at some minor league level or sign some contract or, yeah. you know, obviously I had the opportunity to go to Australia and do that. But I, I think you realize real quick the guys who are not only just putting in hours and hours and hours of additional work, but the but the guys who are able to ride the waves mm-hmm. and, and make those adjustments. And I think it was a really good life lesson for me to kind of struggle through that because yeah. there it's it manifests itself like that in life in a lot of ways too, where you are there's that's why there's literally an expression about life throwing you curveballs, right? <laughs> Is because it comes from baseball where you're expecting some result and you get another and that mental side of having to kind of not give up the entire at bat, but fight back through yeah. it, I think really carries over. So you have about, a, as a batter, you have about a, uh, a little more or less than a second to kind of decide what what type of pitch is coming your way. Yeah, there is a, it's now that we have all the like metrics, they've yeah. been able to kind of identify it. But basically there is, uh, there are two points that they refer to as the, there's the recognition point and there's a decision point. Mm-hmm. Um, and essentially, uh, there's just milliseconds between the point at which you recognize what the pitch is as it is on its way to the plate and where you have to make the decision to swing or not because obviously then your muscles need to go through the act of swinging to hit the ball. Mm-hmm. So you literally you have milliseconds to see what the pitch is, see where it will inevitably wind up, and then make yeah. the decision to swing or yeah. not and hope that you know that you guess the right pitch, hope that the right location, the right speed, the right, all of that. Yeah. So I remember it's, oh, all right, we got to do this. We got, we got a phone call uh, and, and this, this will be good. And then we can uh, get back into, into these different type of pitches, but we got to, um, caller, are you there? Uh, I'm here. Hey, John, it's Howie. Hey, Howie, I gotta, I gotta play your intro music. This is something new. I'm gonna try. Here oh, we go. Oh, look, look I don't know. To that. I don't know if you can hear okay. this, but here we go. This is how we do it. This is how we do it. This is how we do it. Our, I love it. Right? Our new segment. I mean, how you've been calling in for a couple years now, but uh, you finally got your, your intro music for your yeah. se- the segment known as This Is How We Do It. This is this is my buddy Howie. Um, and I thought, who better to call in uh, on our on our baseball show than, than, than Howie? How's it going? Oh, it's going good. You know, I heard a little bit of... Uh you guys talking and it, I really enjoyed it. it. It was real, real insightful. Yeah. And so Howie is our, our 
kind of Mets correspondent as well. Not not too shabby uh, this this year. Um, remarkably, with what we got up to seventeen people on the injured list at one point. Amazing, amazing, yeah, and uh, yeah, just un- unbelievable. You know, um, all these these people in the lineup that you know, who are these guys? <laughs> you know, you you never heard of them. You know. I mean, um, McKinney, you mm-hmm. know, Peraza, it's like, who, who are they, you know? But it's amazing because, you know, everybody, all these new guys, they're, they're taking full advantage of the opportunity and coming through. And, I mean, what, what a team. It's a real team effort, you know. Um, the, the pitching has been fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, and all these guys you never heard of are like everybody's pitching in and uh you know just doing well and i feel like the team's real real gritty and real tight and they got a good attitude and um you know the a lot of the guys should be coming back soon so Mm -hmm. uh, i feel real optimistic i got a real good feeling about this team it'll be interesting to see whether this the cohesiveness that the team has found uh, with all these players injured and all these no names stepping up, if that will be able to um, continue once once the big name players get back on the field, I also yeah, think that yeah, I've got a real good feeling about this. Is the <laughs> is like the the Met story every year? It's like I got a real good feeling about this, and then two months later, everybody's like, "What happened? How did it, how did it get this way?" Yeah, it, it seems like it's that you're always right. You're hopeful and optimistic you know, at the beginning of the season, and then it ends up being disappointing. I mean, that seems to happen so often, you know, but uh hasn't happened yet. I, I feel like there's something different now. I don't know. I feel real optimistic. May, may end up being disappointed if, if history is an indication, mm-hmm. but uh, so so far so good, you know, and it will be interesting when, you know, some of these guys – who are on the injured list come back, you know, it's like you almost don't want to mess with things because it's, it's, you know, going pretty well right now. Yeah. That would be a classic Met scenario where all the, you know, all the stars uh, get back on the field and then we fall into a huge slump, you know? Yep. 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 It's, it's like, so. wait, we need uh uh you know, Mason Williams back. Who's this Conforto guy? We need uh, some some dude that probably doesn't even have a baseball card back on the field. Right. Yeah. Right. right. But that's also like the beauty of the Mets. I feel like if I look back at the history of the Mets, some of my favorite players were like the Benny Agbayanis of the world, <laughs> where you're like, nobody ever expected that guy to be in the lineup, and then that's who everybody, you know, who everybody comes to root for. I think there's always... There's a long history of those, you know, those guys who were overlooked um, and kind of worked into the lineup. And even guys who are like stars right now. I mean, Jeff McNeil was mm-hmm. thought to be like a very soft hitting, you know, guy who wouldn't really have much of a career outside of being like a utility player. And he's become one of their better players. So real solid, real, real solid hitter. Yep. The flying and, um, squirrel. Yeah. And, and Lindor, you know, it's like, um, hard, hard to know what to think, you know, because started off so slow and then it seemed like he, uh, 
kind of snapped out of it and was, you know, hit, hitting pretty well. And now he's like, you know, kind of, kind of in a slump again. Yeah. Good fielder, good personality, and all that. But you know, um, is he is he going to snap out? You know, he's, he should be a pretty good hitter, right? Yeah, you would think so. What three hundred and forty-two million? Is that where they uh, landed on? Th- yeah, three forty-one, three forty-two, something like that. Yeah. I think so. He yeah. wanted one million yeah. more than some. I forgot who got the three forty-one, and he wanted. I, I think it was Tatis. Yeah, uh, Tatis. Mm-hmm. Junior, yeah. yeah, yeah. So far, Tatis is is outperforming that that million for sure. So far, yeah. So far, that guy's yeah. fun to watch. Yeah, he's exciting. He's yeah, exciting player. So, yeah. Howie, I was going to ask Eric this question, and you, as as somebody who's who's watched the Mets and watched baseball for for decades, I wanted to. Do you remember? Uh, you know. 10, 20, 30 years ago, you know, now when when uh, announcers are covering the game, they immediately say, oh, uh, the, you know, that was a, a you know, a, a slider off the plate. They, they'll immediately recognize the pitch. I feel like back 30 years ago, they didn't talk about the the different type of pitch and immediately uh, recognize whether, you know, something was a churve or a, you know. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Um, you know, that it seems to me like I don't remember hearing that until pretty recently, you know, it would be like, you know, uh, on the outside corner for yeah. strike mm-hmm. or high, a little high for a ball. But every pitch, they, they recognize every pitch. I don't, you know, no. watching it, it. But every pitch, it's like, oh, you know, the slider misses or whatever. So yeah. I do think that's really kind of a new thing. Yeah. yeah. The cutter the, cutter on the, you know. Yeah, the older guys were, that's why I love, I don't know if you've seen the show Brockmire uh, no, on I IFC know. with Hank Azaria. I, but, I, I, I have not. No, but yeah. that's, I used to, that's, I love that show because it's, well, A, it's a, it's a baseball adjacent show, but mm-hmm. I think it's the, broadcasters back in the day were providing more color and Mm -hmm. adding to like giving you a sense of what was going on in the game but also just kind of Mm -hmm. filling time with stories and anecdotes and and a lot of them were former players or involved in the game so they were talking to you about things that had happened in the 60s and the 70s and whatever um and i you know i do think that you know you could probably trace everything back to the internet but i think that you know with the with the exposure on the internet to all the new kind of stats and information. Mm-hmm. I think the the average fan who's watching a game understands so much more now mm-hmm. about what's going on that the you you see broadcasters trying to catch up. And it's funny, you know, being involved in in fantasy sports too is you start to see statistics that were created or popularized in like a fantasy analytical community that are now getting talked about on broadcasts because Mm -hmm. they know this is how people this is how a a large chunk of the people watching this game identify if something is good or bad or Mm -hmm. not they know this metric so we start using it like BABIP or right BABIP or like CSW or you know like even even just things I guess strikeout percentage is pretty obvious but Mm -hmm. like slugging percentage on base percentage I mean I remember when you know the um the A's popularized the idea of like Moneyball, yeah. But like nobody was yeah. talking yeah. about on base percentage. No. Nobody knew we you knew 
batting average was how often the guy got a hit. Yeah. I could count the home runs. I could count <laughs> yeah. the RBIs. Yeah. That was easy. And then yeah. on-base percentage seemed so abstract. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we've yeah. gone well beyond yeah. that, too. OPS yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah, I don't that. even know what some of the say, you know, the pitchers wore or whatever. It's mm-hmm. like, i got to look it up. It's like, what what does that stand for? And, you know, with the analytics, it's like, you know, the, the shift, you know, it's mm-hmm. all, things have really really changed a lot and you know for me it's like what what do i know you know but but i look at the shift and it's like you know man there's nobody anywhere near third base why don't you just like bunt it to third base but again what what do i know know? (laughs) yeah um howie do do you have any uh questions for our our guest eric here Uh, i guess my questions here well uh, just a couple um you know i'm sure you heard about um they just changed the rules on um, pitchers uh, you not being able to use any substances at all. Yeah, the sticky and, stuff. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, and and it's interesting because what I heard about that is like the players don't like it, even the the hitters don't like it because the pitchers will have less control. So, um, thought, thoughts on that? Yeah. So uh, that's a, a big topic right now i've been listening a lot and reading a lot about it i i'm of two minds um you know i think that so for for people who aren't aware um always back in the day there was a, a rosin bag behind the pitcher's mound um think of it as like when you go rock climbing and you put a little chalk on your hand so that you can grip things a little bit more tightly um so pitchers would use that to get a better grip on the baseball you know they're throwing it 90 miles an hour they want to make sure that they can grip it so that the pitch goes where they want it to, but also so nobody gets hurt. Over the years, that started to evolve a little bit, and pitchers realized that if they mixed, if they had sunscreen on their hands and they mixed the rosin from the bag with sunscreen, they got more grip. And think about if you have a tighter grip on the baseball, then you can manipulate how you throw it more so you can get more spin on the ball, et cetera. And then it has evolved recently into what the stories are coming out are that organizations are employing like, you know, scientists and chemists to basically cook up batches of (laughs) what they're referring to as sticky stuff because there's so many variations of it where they're doing research to say, what like component of stickiness allows the most manipulation of the baseball. So pitchers are able to throw these things that are crazy now in terms of the movement and speed. Mm -hmm. Um, So I am for removing that, um, the more egregious component. Mm -hmm. I think that, that as the pitchers are saying, like I think making sure that a pitcher can grip a baseball is, is totally fine. Um, so the rosin, the sunscreen, things like that, they've been around for a long time. I don't think they really do much damage. I think when you get to the point where you're scientifically enhancing the ability to do something, it's already incredibly difficult to hit a baseball. So now you're making it yeah. much more difficult. I think the biggest problem and that we're seeing with Major League Baseball right now in terms of the leadership is making a change like that in the middle of a mm-hmm. season has yeah. drastic implications because even if we're saying that pitchers shouldn't use these things they've been using them and throwing a baseball at that speed with that kind of torque and pressure on your shoulder is incredibly risky and dangerous to do a repeated amount of time 
now you're do you're changing the preparation and the way somebody does that, I think you're going to get a lot more injuries. We've already seen one of the best pitchers in baseball, you know, Tyler Glass now who mm-hmm. pitches for Tampa, get injured and and come out and blame it on, yeah. you know, what they were doing. Um so I think I think it'll be a big thing to see in the next couple of months, uh, but I don't think mm-hmm. you know we should go cold turkey and and have <laughs> the pitchers be able to use nothing. Yeah, yeah, that that seems weird. This the timing. If they want to change the rule, I mean, do it at the beginning of the season, but right in the middle of the season, that that does seem kind of strange to me. The timing of that. I yeah. think it was a saving face thing. I mean, everybody started hearing the story and everybody started criticizing, yeah. and I think they felt like they had to do something to make it seem like they were addressing a, a problem mm-hmm. um yeah 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 um and just just one more thing if i might yeah um, go for it how you know i i, I know they're um you know kind of changing changing the rules and trying to um i i guess get more offense going you know to try to bring maybe more casual fans or something but they're trying to do stuff to favor the hitters. Um, you know, like I guess uh, next year that they're going to have the DH in the National League and stuff like, uh, you know, an extra inning game starting with a man on second. I, I don't know, you know, it's just maybe I'm just old fashioned kind of a traditionalist. I, you know, I, I don't really like the man on second i really don't like the dh i feel like there's so much more strategy involved you know when the pitcher has a chance to hit you know are you gonna bunt you're gonna pinch hit you know i i don't know but uh i guess that's the direction that baseball is going yeah i think i think baseball you know it has a little bit of an identity crisis i think it's trying to be other things that are you know uh maybe more eye-catching um and I think that baseball adding offense, I don't think is necessarily going to, you know, all of a sudden make people want to watch baseball. I think <laughs> baseball needs to do a much better job of marketing its players. Um, I think that, you know, there are a lot of really good young players in the game. Um, they happen to be uh, non-white players, which is also great because we can expand the game beyond the kind of market that it has traditionally been, mm-hmm. um, you know, impacted in. But I think that, you know, like, you know, and some of it is a little bit of the personality issue. I mean, Mike Trout has been maybe one of the, the best player in baseball for almost a decade. He's not a very outgoing personality. Most people don't know who he is. Mm-hmm. But even that, people should know who he is. I mean, baseball should do a better job of getting him out there. Um, so I think that some of the rule changes are just a little bit off of, you know, off topic. Right. And I, I think also baseball should embrace, you know, Sammy has talked about this on our podcast, like embrace being a slower sport, mm-hmm. you know, come out to the game, sit with your family in the sun, watch a game, hang out. It's a little bit of a social sport in the sense that you don't necessarily need to be locked in for every single pitch, every single whatever. But I don't think that you need to, if you keep trying to do things to add pace and mm-hmm. add offense there's only so much you can do without drastically changing the mm-hmm. sport and i think that you know we need to embrace some of the slowness although i am i am a fan of the universal dh because Are you? yeah yeah i just i just think 
first if you you know if you've seen they brought up they brought pitchers hitting back this year and pitchers are hitting at an abysmal rate it's like the worst it's ever been there's a lot of at bats where they go up there and they don't even swing mm-hmm. they just stand there because they don't want to get hurt so i kind of feel like what are what are we doing there and then also if you think about it if you're a pitcher you know your livelihood and the ability to make tens or hundreds of millions of dollars is focused on how well you can throw. So that's what they're focused on. That's what they're doing. That's what they're spending all their time practicing. And some pitchers love to hit. I mean, you know, if we threw a shutout in college, all the pitchers wanted to take batting practice. That was like the, you know, the goal we were, they wanted. But in a game itself, that's not where they're spending their time focusing. It's almost like if you have a kicker in football where you're like, I know all you do is kick. But let's have you catch this pass real quick. We're going to have you, you know, catch passes every game. And there might be some who could do it naturally because they're athletic and, you know, gifted. But others are, are going to say, I don't, I don't practice doing this. Mm-hmm. And in baseball, yeah. I think that leads to injuries a lot, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. Interesting. Yeah. And, you know, along with what you're saying, I feel like, you know, baseball, you know, uh, football, basketball, you know, there, there's always action. It's kind of easy for the maybe for the more casual fans to sort of follow along. And in baseball, you know, it's kind of a slow pace game and there's a, kind of a, a lot of subtlety, mm-hmm. you know. And, um, you know, for me, and I think probably for a lot of fans, like I love you know, like a low scoring pitching duel, you mm-hmm. know, two to one or two to two, you know, one little mistake, defensive lapse, like, you know, could make the difference in the game. I love a game like that. So, um, yeah, what, what you're saying, I think is real, real interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Howie, uh, we got to have you, uh, check in a few more times this season. I, I'm, yeah. I'm excited. Are you going to get to go to any, uh, any, any games? You going to come up to the city? Or um, go to you know, I, I, I'm so jealous of you that you get, get to go to games right now. I'm, I'm not sure if I'll be in New York or not. I would love to, but have no plans at this point to go, but we'll, we'll see. We'll All right. See. Well, so, if, if, uh, yeah. if you make it up this way, we'll do a, uh, a race to the bottom of official uh, outing. That that would be great. Good good talking to you guys. All right, take care, Howie. All right. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. Yeah. So the the with that kind of slow uh, aspect of the game and casual fans, I feel like it gets back to what we were talking about about the all the different vocabulary of pitches, right? Uh, Because I've just over the past few years really started to understand that whole game within the game. Uh, And, and with, with baseball doing a better job, I feel like uh, most announcers just expect you to know what the different uh, catalog of pitches are. Right. And, and I'm, I watch a lot of baseball and I, and I'm still, I have to go like on YouTube and teach myself. I feel like they could do a better job of that. Yeah. I think, I think they could do a better job, um, you know, informing people at the lower level of like, or the base level of yeah. what's going on. But then you would have to think that every game you're expecting that there might be people tuning in who yeah. don't know. And then you're kind of re, re explaining it. Yeah. Um, and I do think, you know, that there's, there is that aspect where if you know what what those pitches are, why they're being thrown in a sequence or whatever, mm-hmm. it, it can take your interest in the game or your understanding of the game to another level. But I don't necessarily think it's incredibly important. 
Mm. You know, um, uh, like when I I'll watch a game with my wife who likes going to baseball games yeah. for the you know the sun and the being outside and whatever and you know I don't think that she could watch it and talk about whether it's a slider or a curve <laughs> or a changeup. Yeah, but I don't like we can still talk about the game and enjoy things that are going on without having to be in that level of detail. And then I can, you know, I went um, for mother's day, we went with my parents and I can turn to my dad and we can talk about why would you throw a slider there? Mm -hmm. You know, it seems like it would be a much better count for a fastball. And that's part of what I love about baseball is that it does have those layers Mm -hmm. in terms of your fandom or your, or your viewership of it. If you want to have a conversation about the details and you know, the strategy behind it, do it. If not, you could be like, that ball was hit really hard. That ball went really far. <laughs> yeah. and, and and there's yeah. there's equal merit to both of those conversations. Yeah. The holy cow, that was an incredible catch doesn't have to be like, yeah, and that catch had a 15% <laughs> probability rating. Yeah. Did you see the route? He t-? Like, yeah. you don't need to do that. Yeah. So I mean, so the basic, I guess, to to for the listener, am I am I right that the three main categories of pitches would be fastballs, some sort of breaking balls uh, that that have some kind of spin, either side to side or up or down, and then change ups, which are off speed pitches, which the pitcher looks like they're going to throw a fastball, uh, but because of the way that they're gripping it, uh, it actually comes out uh, as ten, fifteen miles slower than than what the hitter is expecting, and and that expectation, like location and expectation rate that you were talking about earlier, is totally thrown out the window, right? Yeah, and most and most pitchers would have at least three pitches, essentially picking one from each category. You'd have a fastball, a breaking ball, a off speed, and then people will mix and match or add other ones. Um, and yeah, and the and the idea is basically. Use, utilizing those in a manner that keeps the batter guessing. They don't mm-hmm. know what's coming. They don't know, you know, um, they don't know what to expect. So they don't perform as well. Well, Eric, this has been really fun for me. I hope that people at, at home, uh, are having as much. And I hope it, we didn't get too, um, it literally inside baseball to, uh, confuse and befuddle, uh, some of our listeners. Hopefully, we gave you a, a a little bit of an in into this. Yeah, and if you if if it was all intriguing to you, I just encourage you, you know, in as we come out of, you know, the pandemic and we're outside and, you know, there's a lot of major league games, minor league games. I think, you know, baseball is a great outdoor activity uh over the summer as the weather is nice just to, you know, go sit, enjoy a game, enjoy time with family. Um, enjoy a drink if that's something that you choose to do as you're watching a game. Um, but, you know, and I think that you'll you'll maybe start to pick up on just some of the the strategy, the subtle strategy in the game. Or if not, just, you know, watch a game, marvel at how fast the pitches are, marvel <laughs> at how far the ball is hit. Um, and we just got to try to get the game a little more exposure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, baseball. You heard of it? Uh, and also if you're interested in in what we've been talking about check out catcher's corner which is on all the things right yeah it's on spotify apple all of that catch catcher's corner you can see the logo work that's done by my father nice um, who continues to just help me out with all the things i do in my life 
If you're listening to this on your computer, consider downloading the app for your phone. It works great. Uh, Drop us some dollars if you like what you hear, hear what you like. Copyright Kent Corrin. Um, And we've got a uh, we got Dance Week coming up. I'll tell you more about Dance Week, but 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 uh, check it check it out. Go to uh, go to nycdanceweek.org for more info. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll give that less, sh- uh, longer shrift, uh, next time. Uh, let's go out with some, uh, some music. This is Mamina Keta and Nicholas Repak with Mali Denu. Uh, stay tuned for Crime Talk BK and I'll talk to you guys next week. Peace. Mm-hmm.